Bill is a failed skydiver and a bear sometimes he runs. Ben's always traveling, an occasional beach bum. Phil talks a lot, Ben not at all. It's BHP Town Hall. Random guests, alcohol, BHP Town Hall. Ben created Eye on Off, he's a comic book fanatic. Phil made Pyro CMS, he's probably in a kayak. Phil talks a lot, Ben not at all. It's BHP. Town Hall. Random guests, alcohol, BHP, Town Hall. Hello, welcome to episode 35 of the PHP Town Hall podcast. You have myself, Ben Edmonds, along with the adorable Philip Sturgeon, as always. Hello. We're joined today with uh, Gary Hawken and Jacques Woodcock. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Thank you for the punctuation. You got to emphasize the shocks. Yeah, it's the same way I say French fries. <laughs> Wonder, wonderful start to the podcast, as always. Uh, I feel like uh, we should start with a little bit of an introduction to yourselves. Um, so, so Jax, you can go first because you're the regular, um, and just tell us a little bit about what you do. Uh, so, I, what I do is new compared to last time. I'm actually a CTO of a, a, a startup here in Nashville uh, called Tandem. We're in the live event space. Um, we're in the, that part, that awkward part where you're under the radar and you're not allowed to talk about what you actually do, um, which kind of sucks. Uh, in addition to that, I do a lot of community organizing around Nashville and uh, also uh, Vert PHP and um, some talking uh, whenever somebody uh, is silly enough to let me speak. Hello. Yeah, I'm Gary. Um, I'm uh, an employee at um, Rove, so um, I'm a guess a, a glorified contractor at the moment, consultant. Um, currently I'm working um, exclusively with, uh, with Zend. Um, so that means that I, I literally work with one client, which is Zend, and I'm, um, uh, I'm involved with updating and improving all the training and certification materials. Uh, but before that role, I was um, CTO at a, at a kind of very small um, uh, company uh, at Spruce, who are based in Swansea, who sell video adverts to publishers around the world. And I'm conference speaker and the usual nonsense as well. All right. Uh, special thanks to Andre Butov for sponsoring this episode of the PHP Town Hall. Andre requested a shout out, and I'm requesting $400, Andre. <laughs> That's $100 each, right? I didn't hear anything about this. When do I get my money? Yeah. Where do I send my invoice? <laughs> I'm currently sat it's, on the... Uh, it's Antair Software Development is where you send the invoice. <laughs> I'm currently sat on the only piece of furniture I own, which is the world's largest beanbag, um, which is better than the last podcast because I was sat on my fucking bike. Um, so things are moving up in the world, but that $100 would be pretty handy right about now. Are, are you sleeping on the beanbag? That's the question. <laughs> I, I do have a mattress, which is insanely comfortable. Oh, okay. okay, so that's two pieces of furniture to be technical. I, does, does a mattress count as furniture? Yeah. Yeah, because you can use it as a couch. Or a table. Or a table. <laughs> yeah, if you're fried from Futurama, you can use it as a table. That's all right. I tried using a mattress as a table once, and then it got covered, <laughs> in, chili, and then it got covered in chili sauce, and everyone thought it was blood. So I'm not doing that ever again. At least you got lucky and people thought it was blood. <laughs> you must have been back in the UK when that happened, because... Uh, <laughs> That, that, that stinks of late night Donna Kebab, that story. That's so, exactly what that was. Yeah, I can imagine. 
drunk Phil every time he comes back. It's like, well, I'm a little bit drunk. I could do some food before I go to work tomorrow. Let's get myself a doner kebab. Now, where's a really comfortable place to sit and eat this doner kebab? I know, in bed. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've woken up with, with bits of kebab meat stuck to my face, having used the doner kebab pillow method myself. Um, in my younger days, you know, let's let's make sure that point is made. It's the last year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Just wait, Gary. Just wait. I'm, I'm just waiting. Up. By the end of this, and you'll be ready for a kebab. I'm just waiting up whether my wife is ever likely to see this or not. You know, that's the only question here. So. <laughs> Oh, and a big thank you to you, Gary, for staying up until what must be 1.30-ish somewhere to get this started. Uh, yes, indeed. 1.30. Yeah, it's all good. Where are you located, by the way? Because I don't pay attention. Uh, Swansea in, in the UK. So it's a uh, coastal um, city in South Wales in the UK. Your accent is much nicer than it feels. Thanks. Because um, I think we're probably like an hour, I'm an hour away from where you were. Yeah, about that. Yeah, that's like fucking like halfway across the country, isn't it? Yeah, it, is. it certainly is in Wales, yeah. Remember that uh, it only takes about an hour to get, uh, an hour and a half to get from London to Bristol, which is clear across England, and then about another hour on the train to uh, to, to get to Gary, as I discovered when my train decided to completely fucking blow through my city of Bristol and just crack on towards Gary. And uh, I was like, I'm not entirely sure what I should do. Uh, anyone got any suggestions? And Gary said, you, uh... Gary said, if you come to Swansea, I'll get you a cider. I was like, I'll take more than one fucking cider to get to Swansea. That place is a shithole. Hey, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it is a shithole, but yeah, there's only so, no to actually come out and see it, you know. So is Bristol, why do you think I left the country? <laughs> uh, so should we should we get on with uh, with this podcast then? Should we Send your feedback to Phil Sturgeon. <laughs> Phil Sturgeon shits on everywhere in the UK, yeah. <laughs> They don't it's not going to much argument from Swansea people. It's the first time I think he wouldn't cause an argument by, by saying something controversial like that. <laughs> nice. Well, so one of the first things we're going to talk about today is uh, PHP 5.7 or the, uh, the lack of existence thereof. Um, so there was an RFC with, with the gang on, uh, on internals there, and they were trying to work out whether they should go with 5.7 being the next minor version or just, just leap straight on and get onto version 7. Um, now, the, the two were meant to be kind of developed side by side, so it wasn't going to slow down PHP 7 at all. Um, but I think people decided that, you know, fuck 5.7. Um, Jax, do you have any, any thoughts on, on that? Any sadness? Uh, this is the first I've heard of it, seeing how I, uh, you know, have a job that uh, <laughs> keeps me pretty busy. Um, but I'm not sad about it. I mean, I'm, I'm really excited about P, uh, PHP 7. So um, I actually have been reading up um, Nick... I always forget how to say his last name. Um, just released uh, a blog post on the hash table redesign that he did. Uh, that was really fascinating, and I'm I'm looking forward to the uh, the performance increases in PHP seven. So I'm not sad that PHP five seven is not there. So. Uh, Gary, you got anything? Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, given that you just like literally ambushed uh, Jacques with with this kind of topic about ten minutes ago. And uh, yeah, I, do you know what? I literally have no idea what was what was going to be in set uh, five seven or, or not. So, do you have any more information about what actually um, <laughs> has been kind of smashed away? Or? I'm the political guy that has like the vague answer that everybody can be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And Gary's is like, hey asshole, what? <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> 
Well, so what, ten minutes ago when I said well, who would like to talk about five seven, and everyone went, "Yeah, that sounds like a thing," and now they're like, "Hey, you wanker, we didn't." <laughs> no, no, no. I was just <laughs> expecting you to kind of give. Um, uh, I'm, I'm like powerfully speed reading the five seven RFC. Uh, ah, gotcha, gotcha. I just imagine it was another topic that would have you go on a diatribe for the next thirty minutes or something. So I thought you were setting yourself. I'm up. not used to actually talking on this podcast. I just nod. <laughs> <laughs> well. Maybe Ben has a couple of things to say about it, <laughs> or is it just me? I, for one, am very pissed off. Five seven was the cornerstone of things. I don't know what was it was going to do, but it was very important. <laughs> and now it's not happening. So none of you people ever read anything on the RFC wiki, or okay, fine. So <laughs> look, look, look. I want you to know I'm an avid listener of PHP Town Hall, and the one thing I've learned from PHP Town Hall is that you don't pay attention to the RFCs or the fig. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Let's yeah. if you want to actually like be productive and get things we're, done. We're all just sitting around deprecating things to uh, to make ourselves look busy anyway. So, um, <laughs> hey Bo, hey Dave. Um, <laughs> so uh, PHP five seven was basically proposed as another minor version, and the idea was going to be um, they were going to it wasn't going to add any new features. It was going to go through and uh, deprecate a lot of things that they would like to remove. So. Um, PHP 5.7 was going to come out like halfway through or third quarter of uh, 2015 somewhere, a little bit before uh, PHP 7. And the idea was that that would not only give uh, PHP 5.x branch um, another like year of, of support before it went end of life, um, but it would also be kind of a stepping stone to help people um, upgrade to PHP 7. So uh, whilst they didn't have any incredibly strong plans on exactly what they were going to deprecate, like some things obviously were going to happen, uh, they, they wanted that period of time uh, up until the kind of the feature freeze where they could say, right, we'd like to deprecate this in PHP 5.7 or remove this in, P sorry, we'd like to remove this in uh, PHP 7, therefore we should put a deprecation notice into 5.7 itself um, to let people know that these changes are going to come in the future. Does that make sense? It was kind of like yeah. a, a little branch to warn people about coming changes instead of being like, oh, here's 5.6, fuck you upgrade, it might break your shit, who knows? Well, that, that that's fine, and Danny, but you assume that people upgrade. Yeah, <laughs> this is true. We, we know that people upgrade slowly, but we do know that they do upgrade. Um, they upgrade eventually. A lot of hosts are kind of behind the times. But so they, we, we just we just had a uh, the, the National PHP User Group, and the the host company is still running five three. So it, I don't know. It's a, it's a great idea in principle, right? To just to, to give deprecation notices for stuff that's going to go away in the next major version or major then point version. But yeah, I guess you would need to have a list of things you know are going to be going away in the near future. And then unless you have got that list, then I don't really see what the the discussion would be based around. You know, so is that a no forever, Phil? You can tell me. I don't really know how these things work, to be honest. I, you know, I kind of shy away from, in the main, this this kind of area of PHP. But is this like a no forever now, or is this just a oh, it hasn't been accepted this time, but you know, maybe we will have a list of things that can try again. Uh, so far, it's not clear. Um, the RFC procedure so far is like no forever. You can always like revote on RFCs. Um, Levi Morrison, one of the chaps that's doing a couple of BC breaking things in PHP 7, uh, did say that he's just going to maintain a branch of, uh, in, instead of it being like an official 5.7 branch, he's going to maintain a branch of things that he would like to deprecate and that other people would like to deprecate. So it will be like an unofficial 5.7 branch. So if, if getting closer to the time it becomes clear that it would actually be quite nice to have a 5.7, then he can say, oh, cool, I've got this branch perfectly ready, so maybe we'll do that. 
maybe maybe I'm naive, but I expect five uh, five seven to be kind of a painful upgrade anyway. So having a intermediary step is just kind of like um, um, giving somebody you know just giving somebody a crutch that really doesn't need a crutch. It's like even oh, no, I mean, you I, put the pain in for. A, I kind of feel like it is a good idea, and I haven't followed the RFC to see what the reasoning is. But I mean, traditionally, you do want to deprecate before you say, "Hey, it's completely gone." I know in the past, as I've learned versions, the you know, like when you first do an upgrade, you're just trying to get the minimum out there. But when you know something's deprecated, you can then fall back later. So like a month later, once you're you're done with your push, and then you can say, "Hey, let's just turn on all errors, and then let's walk through these things and fix deprecations." That's how I usually kind of do it. It's kind of a, a stepped upgrade, whereas we get the minimum out for the next version. And then we loop back through and catch all the deprecations. Now, is that a strategy that you use for a, the the dot version upgrades, or is that like a whole version update? Because for me, going from a whole number to another whole number, it, it's the time to break things, and people should expect things to break at that time. No, I don't really do. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really good point. I haven't done a whole number upgrade in what five fucking years now. I know, right? So, so I mean, I don't really have a process in my head for that at all. So, yeah. yeah, that's a good point. You do yeah. kind of expect everything to break, I guess. And it's also worth noting that PHP has only been Semver since, like, 5.5.10 or some shit. Like, it's not been Semver for very long. Um, and before that, they just kind of... They try and keep things reasonable, or they wouldn't break anything, or they break really gently or something. Right. I mean, we've, we, if there's one thing I've learned in the last week, it's that all PC breaks in PHP are done by minor non-entities just to, you know, to spite people who've had stuff running in the wild for five years. So just just to make themselves look busy. It, yeah, absolutely, yeah, Ben. Let's yeah. talk about the let's talk about the uh, the breaks that affect code ten years ago because I mean that's really infuriating. Yeah, that's what Gary was referencing there. There was a blog. I mean, I had this PHP two app, and if they break that shit, do <laughs> <laughs> you know? I'm gonna do a quick introduction to the situation we're about to talk about just to, to make sure we're all on the same page. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, please do. Yeah. Okay, so there was a um, an article written by Tony something something, um, who which I'll link to in the in the show notes. So I'm doing a really good job of making this clear so far. Um, basically, there was a large number of complaints about the fact that PHP seven is attempting to um, remove PHP four style constructors. Um, so PHP four style constructors are if you have a class name called foo and you have a method called foo, then that method will be the constructor. Um, if it, Since PHP 5, it's been the case that um, instead of using uh, a method name with the same name as the class, you should use underscore, underscore, uh, double underscore, to clear, construct. Um, to, to, to be clear, that's a five dot something. It's, didn't five actually come out with support for the old? Sorry, yes. So um, all the way through the five dot series, they've had old and new support. Um, so currently, I believe it still works. Um, it might have it might have only stopped working quite. No, I, I, mean, I believe it still works. I really I don't do PHP four style code anymore, and I haven't since I was eleven years old. So I wouldn't be able to tell you very honestly. Um, but the, the the point was they yeah it went from the old style to the new style. And now they're talking about in PHP 7 removing the old style, which seems incredibly reasonable, seeing as the version that supported um, uh, PHP 4 has been end of life for eight years or something. Um, again, I'm kind of throwing around numbers here, but but to a lot of people, including since I was a teenager, basically. right, which was last year, um, but. <laughs> But uh, to a lot of people, um, apparently removing any sort of BC uh, is completely, completely unacceptable 
and I, I can't for the life of me work out why. If you're looking for justification for that stance, I don't think you're going to find it from this group of people. Um, <laughs> you know what? I, I, think that, I think the guy makes a valid point in some respects, I, and I think he makes it in an incredibly entertaining way for someone who likes to point and laugh, like myself. But, it, it, you know, genuinely, I think that the, the valid point is that, that maybe making backwards compatibility breaks for the sake of them um, yeah we I think we'd all agree that that's a that's a bad thing right in inverted commas I'm not going to do those crazy air quote things but you think you'd agree that it's a bad thing to break things for the sake of breaking them but the the miss what the point where he misses the mark for me is that these are breaks for breaking change you know for the sake of breaking things it's not a case of removing this constructor um, it's being done just to, to make work or to spite people or just just because we want a purer language. It's because it causes unwanted um, effects for people and it causes problems for people who need to debug these problems and for new people who come into PHP. Um, I mean, in the article, he seems to presume that the reason people want to remove this, this constructor is because it, they end up doing, you know, the core developers... Um, or the junior core developers, I should say, sorry, um, and uh, get, you know, having these problems. Well, absolutely, it's not the people who are hacking on core who are, who are creating a method called foo and a class called foo and then getting unexpected, you know, side effects. It's not those people. It's, it's the other people, the bread and butter people who are using this, you know, this language in their daily job to make some money. And, and they are the people that are being targeted with this change. And I think it's absolutely reasonable to... To make this break, but I think the underlying point is that it's worth, which is worth noting, is that make you know we shouldn't be making breaks for purity or for because we want to be more like language X, Y, or Z, which is a fair point. You know that is a fair point. Um, it's just made in a way where it's a difficult point for you to agree with because of the kind of passive aggressive or even openly aggressive um, you know way it's being made. But I loved the article. I mean, I I, I laughed. Long and hard, so more power to win. I think like one thing I don't get, and maybe it's a communication thing. It seems like some people feel like they have to upgrade, like it's a decree that they must upgrade, and that's just not the case. Like if you have the code that's not going to port well, there's nothing saying you have to port that app over. And if you're still using PHP four constructors, well, I mean there there's a there's a market there's a market pressure to upgrade in the sense that like if you're trying to hire devs. Try to hire a dev who understands 4.0 or any type of the 4 series right now. I mean, but do you think the people that are making that argument against, you know, five-style constructors are hiring developers, like modern-day developers? I mean, I, I would guarantee at some point they're going to have to hire a developer. Um, it's in my head when I picture it. I picture that as, like, your solo site running somewhere. That oh, God, no. Uh, so... The, the best place to like to look for an analogy is in the Windows world, I think. Um, so if you look at the way the, the, the Windows upgrade cycles work um, and their support, support for backwards compatibility, um, you can go and you can look at uh, a number of older Windows developers and, and shops, in, in essence, and see how long technology life is beyond... The, the support, right, is beyond, like, when the company even says, it's like, we're not supporting anymore, that technology that people have invested millions of dollars in is going to last a long time. So if I was a company and I invested, you know, millions of dollars into a PHP 
four app and I'm sitting here and it's like, okay, five is able to support this one thing that's going to like give me this massive headache. And then I hear about seven, I'm going to be like, oh, this sucks, right? Um, but back to the question of hiring, yeah, I mean, they're going to hire have, hire people who have an, a, at least a base understanding of or a base experience with a four app to come in and do things. And I, I think back to, I worked in um, town with a PRO, which is a performing rights organization. And they're working on servers and a technology stack that is like 15, 20 years old. And it's a Microsoft stack. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, guess I get your point because last week I was arguing for PHE 5.2 support. So I guess you just extrapolate that and you say, hey, what about this? You choose app that's 20 years old. It's uh, hard to imagine, but I guess they are do so, still exist, right? Something to think about is that um, with with all these people that are stuck on PHP 4 or PHP 4 star code bases, it kind of sucks for them because they have to try and find these developers that understand how PHP 4 works. Um, but that's kind of what comes with the territory of staying on really old fucking versions, right? What what annoys me about this whole idea of keeping stuff for PHP 7 just because it worked for PHP 4 is that we're forcing every PHP developer to remember how or, or to try and learn from scratch how things used to work in PHP 4. So if there are companies that are still running a PHP 4 style code base, fine, you're going to have to go and find developers that know about the good old days like Pepperidge Farm remembers, whatever that tweet was. And, and that's, that's your problem. It's your problem because you've stayed there and that's the problem that you've decided to stick with. But the idea of keeping all this really old, wacky, zany shit in PHP 5 and 7 and everything going forwards just to like protect those people, it means that everyone has to learn about those problems. And a brand new developer who started learning PHP 5.6, right? He's going to start, or she's going to start working on something, and they're going to come across this random problem where they named a method after the class, and boom, explosion. And then someone's going to have to come in and be like, "Well, back in the day, if you named yeah. it that," and that's just really unreasonable for fucking everyone. It, it's the crux of the problem with that entire article is that the, the guy is presuming that the core developers are doing this, proposing this change for their own usage, which is absolutely, you know, that's the bullshit. There, really, the bullshit is that that they uh, the the proposal is absolutely not for the people who are writing who are going to end up. You know, deprecating and removing this this um, constructor method because they they're not going to make that mistake. You know, let's be honest. It, it was only three years ago or whatever, probably less than that, where where I wrote some code where this came and bit me in the ass. I didn't know about it. You know, and I've been using PHP for fifteen years, and and I, you know, I'll be honest. It, it's it's caught me out, and and it, it's this is not change for the sake of change. This is not change for the sake of cleaning up. The language, you know, oh, this has been left in for a while, but it doesn't really bother anyone. We'll leave it in. But if it is a problem, and it is a problem, then there's no real reason to leave it in. See, um, I, I personally don't feel that there's anything wrong with making a change for the sake of cleaning a language, especially on a major version update, right? Like, if you're going to make a change for the sake of cleaning a language, you do it on the 7. Um, yeah. And it's like, I don't know. You you asked me about, like, the upgrade of the 5.7, the 5.7, and asking me about the upgrade to 7, and it's like, so I'm in a very fortunate position. I'm building a new technology stack with my company. We're, we're on 5.6 right now. So if 5.7 came out, we would upgrade to that, and we're hoping, you know, hopefully the migration from 5.6 to 7 is going to not be that difficult because we're up to the 5.6. Um, but when it comes to market, going back to the market pressures, it's like, 
I couldn't imagine having a technology stack where I had to hire somebody who had an understanding of 4.0 of any any version, especially at this point with like 5.6 and then transition to 7. It's actually quite scary. The, the fact is that the, the people like the author of this article, and there must be however many, you know, you, you, you guess, you use a random number generator to guess how many other people like him there are who have multiple applications running on code that is what we would all describe as legacy. You know, that guy must have, reading between the lines and inferring a lot from what he says and the way he says it, he must have dozens of applications running with code that will be effectively broken if he upgrades to PHP 7. So what version of PHP is he running? What security holes would be in those applications? Because effectively he wants to be in a position where he can write once and leave running for 15 years. Well, I just don't think that's reasonable. I genuinely don't think that that's a reasonable stance to just say, oh, I've written this piece of software for you. Yeah, that's good for 15 years. Don't bother ever looking at it. It'll work fine for 15 years because it's just not a reasonable statement to do. You know, it's not, it doesn't work like that in the real world. Yeah. Well, in the last episode, we were um, getting shouted at, well, I was getting shouted at for recommending that some companies might still use 5.2 and might need to remain on, uh, remain on 5.2 because upgrades are, are hard to do. So if, if there are people out there complaining that, you know, we should keep compatibility with version four because they've got to run it. Um, and there are people screaming at me saying, well, you shouldn't be on 5.2 today. Then everyone's having a hard time with versions. I mean, I know versions are the hardest thing to fucking discuss. Everyone's got a different look on it. And it's it's hard to upgrade. It's hard. If you don't change enough, then you piss people off. If you change too much, then you piss people off. Like, it's really hard. But people really need to not be on four at all. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think there's any exceptions of 4. Uh, I, I've personally never had any issues upgrading PHP, and that might just be in the style of programming that I do. I just, you know, I, I like to stay into a safe zone that I know that I'm not on any fringes of, of things. I'm not using any functions that are fringe functions, and I try to stay within these safe little, little parameters and stuff. And, so, you know, I've upgraded blindly from 5.2 to 5.4 before and like no issues um, where my current company is on 5.6 as I mentioned um, I have no programming issues in that either um, <clears throat> so I mean I'm not really sure what people have to do to have these major upgrade issues especially if you have a uh, this is for you Chris if you have a good test suite uh, <laughs> like like I, I don't understand like other than time commitment I don't see how a, uh, an upgrade is going to like create this this huge monkey wrist, monkey wrench in your in your productability um, productability productability. Good word. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it as a word. It's okay. All right, all right. That's good because I'm almost done with two. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You're spot on. I think we're in a position, you know, everyone really, where we're we're lucky enough that we've been in control of our own stack, um, or at least. We're working with people who will um, listen when you say, yeah, we're doing well, but we need to, you know, take a week knockback because we're going to move from 5.3 to 5.5 or something. And it's just, I think that the fact is that we're actually, you know, attending conferences, speaking at conferences, some of us, on this podcast involved with the community implies that we're at a certain level. Um, of, uh, I guess, luckiness, where we're in a position where we can pretty much choose our own versions of PHP because we become, you know, we move that far in our careers, however long or, or slow it's taken us to get there. But you have to remember that there's a whole 
um, underbelly of PHP developers that, that will never see this podcast, will never attend a conference, uh, probably won't follow any other community developers on Twitter, probably will, will you know, turn up for work at eight in the morning, leave at, at five and, and just, just do their job and walk away. And it's these people where there's a problem when you create too many BC breaks, basically, because you just won't get the adoption. There's no budgets for for upgrading um, versions of PHP. If if my life, you know, my 15 years in development has taught me anything, upgrading to a newer version of software as a developer, there's never a budget. There's never um, you you pretty much have to fight for it in the wild. And and if this job is going to take too long, then you just won't get by in, and you'll end up with you know, I'm pretty much thinking I'm going to have to I'm, I'm going to register you know, ophp7.com when I leave uh, this hangout and, and, you know, hold that for ransom for $10,000 for someone, you know, it, it's, it's going to have to happen. It's going to happen because it is, you just do not get buy-in from the people who are spending the money on the developer's time to, to, to do this because it's, it's, as the guy said in that, in that um, article, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And that's the mentality of yeah. um, a lot of, I mean, we can segue onto CTOs quite nicely here because yeah. As a CTO, you you absolutely understand that spending a week to do an upgrade now will save you more than a week in the long run. You know, we understand yeah. that as the guys make, but selling that to the people who is physically, you know, whoever's above you in the company is a difficult sell, to be honest. It is a difficult sell. Well, I, I think... Uh... I think you make a good point about like the CTOs. We we can do that, but we're we're as you mentioned, we're also a special case because we go to conferences, we pay attention to these podcasts, we um, we actually care about the craft that we're doing. Um, going back to that, the performing rights organization I worked with, they're equipped. They, they they're such an old archaic org structure that they didn't have a CTO. They had a CIO who made all the decisions about the software and and the outfacing technology, um, and I. You know, he he goes to some local um, technology uh, events, but they're business technology events. They're not actually um, getting things done, building, moving technology, or any of those type of things, the future-facing type of technologies. And he was in his position for, I think, 22 22 years or something like that. So um, I think think it's hard as a CTO to say, you know, as it's easy to look forward and force your 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 company into doing these hard upgrades that take a week because you know it benefits you in a long time. Um, because there's so many people who move from the technology into the C-level positions and they forget the technology. They never go back and they never touch it. And to me, that's just that's absolutely wrong because that's the point of why you're the C-level position anyway. Yeah. So this is interesting. Uh, we were going to talk today on this episode about um, about kind of uh, developer versus CTO stuff, not about like the fight between the power structures and whatever, but more about um, about kind of going through that that transition in your career um, and about how that kind of affects you um, and some of the pros and some of the cons. I think we've covered one of the cons of like going from being just a lowly developer. You know, you, you go through junior to senior to lead, and then you get onto you know CTO or, or higher kind of decision making and, and less code related. Um, positions and, and one of the great benefits is that you get to say fuck you we're upgrading PHP or, or you know we're going to use this stack or you know what AWS is shit like, we'll use this other thing you, you kind of get to make the calls that are uh, in the best best interest for your business um, uh, as long as you've got the money and the support from everybody else which hopefully you should do because if you're the person in charge of making tech decisions and you know your CEO probably wants to listen to you there um, so I, I guess you guys, do you want to, uh, Jack, do you want to talk a little bit about kind of 
how you got to being CTO and, and how yeah. it's for you now than it used to being a developer? Yeah, yeah. So uh, what's really funny is like I think I'm a CTO because I had no other options at this point. Um, I, I, unlike most other people that you probably talk to who are doing development, I never started off in development. I didn't touch my first computer until I got into college. I didn't own my first computer until I got into college. And then I started off in graphic design and slowly worked my way into interactive design, interactive programming, and then tr traditional programming and all those different type of things. Um, um, so my background is, is really diverse. And in order to keep me interested in anything, um, I kind of have to jump around a bit. So I have a, a, a very severe case of professional ADD um, in the sense that uh, I, I need to spend a week designing, I need to spend a week programming, I need to spend a week planning, strategizing, and all this different type of stuff. And in addition to that, I got the entrepreneur bug and uh, shit about eight, ten years ago, and I started companies myself and multiple companies myself. And so by that, I've got uh, I continue to get exposure to all the management, biz dev, biz dev, the the money, the financials, all these different. Uh, business exposures that you don't typically get if you're in a company doing development. Um, and so to satisfy really like my, first my skill set and then second like my ADD, my professional ADD, kind of had no other, no, other, no other choice than go into a kind of a CTO position or something similar to that, but I don't really know what the, something similar to that is. I think product is still too focused on product. I think development for me is too focused on development. So for me, CTO is almost actually the, the best position I can be in. <clears throat> because of all my community development, I got a number of startups coming across my desk looking for C-level, um, mm. C-level, but uh, technical co-founders. Um, yeah. One of the easiest things to do is become a technical co-founder of a startup um, because there's not enough of them, uh, <laughs> and especially in Nashville. Uh, I think every year I hear about 10 to 20 companies looking for a technical co-founder, and they, they can't find them. Um, and then eventually, what, what's really interesting about the current position I have is that a recruiter hit me up, and I said no, and I passed it over to Ben Ramsey. Ben Ramsey went and had lunch with the people, um, came back, and he said, you know what, Jacques, I think you really need to talk to these people. And, and I went and talked to him, and it was it's just, it was fantastic, it's fantastic, and I, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to toot the horn of these guys, um, Drew, Pete, and Tyler, that they're... The, the situation they've set up is like it's one of my best employment um, experiences ever, uh, especially as a as a partner. Um, so I'm a CTO. They're not technical in any sense. They come from the pure business side, business investment, uh, mergers, acquisitions, those different type of things. But they have this beautiful concept for a product, and they don't know how to execute it. So they they brought me aboard, and they trust me to the to the point where. Um, I make all you know. I, I do the CTO role. I make all the hiring decisions. I make all the technology decisions. I make pretty much timeline decisions. I'm running product pretty much as as, as well as I'm running um, the the tech stack. Uh, so they're they've been great in supporting and giving me the ability to make the, the decisions that need to be made in order to look for the long term success of this this company. Um, and I know other people have issues in that. Um, <clears throat> if I can jump in there for a second, um, yeah. how have you found it um, running kind of tech decisions and product? Because when I was CTOing for this last startup, I, I was finding myself doing a lot of that. Uh, we used to have someone who was in charge of product for a while, um, and then they buggered off, as happens in startups. And um, I had to kind of step up. I, I think I was originally lead engineer, 
And then that we had a, a product guy, and then that guy buggered off, and I kind of stepped up to be CTO to handle a few other things. Yeah. But um, handling tech, and like, it was only a team of three developers, but handling three developers and trying to hire more people and and doing tech and also product was like a really, it was kind of too many things. Yeah. I feel like the product needs its own person, you know, otherwise you get very focused on like, well, this would technically be easier to do as opposed to this yeah. is like the best thing for the product, you know? Yeah, sure. I, I think that's a great question. Um, again, I'm going to go back to my professional ADD. It works perfect for me. Um, and not only that, uh, what people don't really know is that I've done development for a long time, but I've only had one professional development job, and that was with Moontoast. Uh, beyond that, I've always been um, uh, some type of multi-hat person, um, doing front-end, inter interactive, with back-end. I mean, the job before, I was the web interactive director department guy, and so I, I kind of had to do everything, strategy, product planning, Team was that your official title, Jacko? Yeah, it actually was. It was a director of interactive... Uh, product guy. Product guy, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that was on the business card. I'll have to go... No. <laughs> um, and then before that, I came in as an interactive designer and then took over uh, the, the art department and the front-end department and stuff like that and then worked in conjunction with the back-end. Um, and that's where I actually got exposed to PHP and picked up PHP. Um, so for me, it's been working great. But to your point, it is a lot of things. I'm looking forward to the day that I can hire uh, product people to come up that I can help orchestrate into that. And to give credit again back to the partners that I'm working with, they have a very strong product vision. So we've been doing something that's really taboo um, in this day of age. We've been doing waterfall development for the past five months. And Whoa. Yeah, right? Apparently, Agile's dead, so now's the perfect time to get into waterfall. Oh, God. Agile. But the, I, think, I think we all do waterfall more than we want to admit. Yeah. We just try to relabel it to make ourselves feel less dirty. Maybe. Uh, but the, the fascinating thing about what, what we're doing is that we're going into an industry that's highly competitive, that's highly established. And when you do that, there's a certain amount of feature set that's required in order to be a player in that field, which leads to you, the only way to do that is by waterfall, because you have to think out every one of those features, what's going to make you different about that in that offering, how are you going to niche yourself into it. it. The only way to do that is waterfall. You can't do that through Agile. I, I don't care. Um, I, 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 I think it's... Um Waterfall is highly underrated as a way of working anyway, to be perfectly honest. If I, you know, if I can be blunt about it, if you've got a product, I think that it's much more suitable. I feel, as if I'm going to make a massive global sweeping statement, I feel that, that Agile is better when you're building a product for a customer. And, and I think the waterfall would, is typically better when you're building a product for yourselves. You know, when you're building a product, you're a development team as part of the actual company who owns the product um, because you can release as often as you want. You can use continuous deployment. You can use all these 2014 buzzwords to make sure that your, your, pro, you know, your, your web application is up to date to your, you know, your, what you've developed and you can roll back really quickly. Yeah. So, do you know what I mean? It's um, no, I mean, yeah, thanks, thanks for so what I def just just to make this point totally clear, what I definitely didn't say is that um, waterfall is better than agile. Um, I definitely did not say that, one hundred percent. Somebody might have just tweeted saying something along those lines, but uh, that might have just been to get more viewers on the show. Who knows? That person is a liar, whoever he was. Well, I see what you're saying, Gary, and I 
would say it really kind of depends on the project and the client too. If you're doing client work, I, mean, I, I did say it was a terrible sweeping statement. So, yeah. <laughs> well, well, I think I, I think to Gary's point, I mean, it's like we do agile more than we like to give. We like to say that we do. I mean, the whole the. The whole fact, the whole idea about agile is that you spend no time planning it, and you just throw it out there. I mean, in 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 the core of what it's become, I don't know. I'm not a historian. I don't remember what it actually started off as, but as what it's become, it's about okay. I'm we need um, we need a way to take credit cards. Great, boom, 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 boom. Throw it out there. Oh, that doesn't work. Let's change it up. Throw it out there. The thing about waterfall and what in the core of it is that like okay, we need to take credit cards. Well, let's. Think about how our users actually take credit cards or want to put in credit cards and yeah. how they actually want to use those credit cards because that's the difference to me between Agile and Waterfall through my experience. Now, I don't know if that's ac accurate at all, but through my experience, that's been the difference. And for me, um, being as interested as the pro in the product and the product process as much as the development process, um, I think that actually thinking about something before you're develop it, developing it is very very important. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. Um, absolutely, I think that when you know where I was working, um, just to go back to Phil's original point, I, I kind of um, was hired um, as a lead developer um, for a company in Swansea, and then the um, to be honest, the, with the best will in the world, the CTO that was there um, already was pretty much doing it reluctantly because he had been. A developer who'd been promoted to CTO and he just didn't, you know, he didn't want to be in that position. Um, so I kind of replaced him fairly quickly after joining the company. Um, but we we worked in a weird place where we had a foot, you know, you had a foot in both camps. You had um, this kind of weird hybrid between the two, between the two methodologies, which worked well for us. You know, let's be honest. At the end of the day, the only important thing is that you're releasing shit and you know you're not getting too many bugs and and and, and you're getting the job done. Let's be perfectly blunt about it. Whatever you call the way you and, and, and then it works for you. I mean, let's exactly. just yeah. diminish that. So we we worked in a weird way where we we were we had some parts of what you would typically call agile and we had some parts which were what you would typically call waterfall. But it worked it worked perfectly for us as a small team. You know, I we were basically running agile, but instead of having a sprint, the developers just picked the next card off their pile once they finished the card they were on, you know, and hit the ticket. So it was it worked fine. It worked absolutely fine. But um, I would like to work like that again in the future if I was in a lead position to run projects because I think it works successfully where you don't need a massive amount of interaction with a client. I think where you need to keep the client in the loop and where you, you need to get buy-in and, and acceptance from a client, then that's where Agile is a powerful tool to, to get buy-in from your client and get them involved in the process. But that's not what we were here to talk about anyway, right? So Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Gary, um, you, like me, have, have made the switch from CTO back to being a, a lowly developer. Is that yep. or, or at least not CTO anymore? Yes. Um, can you yeah. tell me about that, that change, like what you kind of miss and what you kind of like, like pros and cons? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like the fact that um, I can pretty much sleep at night again now. You know, that's that's the big bonus <laughs> for me, realistically. Um, you know, there's a big pipe of shit and it stops at you and you, you're trying to shield the guys who are under you from, from any of this political bullshit that's going on in the company. And, um, you know, that is what I found fairly difficult, if I'm honest with you. I found, because you don't want to be affected. You know, we only have a small team, I think. I think we had... Myself and five developers when 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 I left, which is you know it's a nice sized team to manage, and this is why you can get away without using perhaps some more formal processes. But 
yeah, I, I don't miss the I don't miss the political bullshit and the, you know the posturing and, and and all that stuff that comes even in a small company. Um, but yeah, it, there's something so rewarding about. Typically, for me, it would be I was at conferences anyway. I was self-funding, or I was speaking, or I was going because I love being around the, the guy, you know, the guys and girls in the, in the PHP community. Then I was always out there learning new technologies, and there is something particularly rewarding about implementing a new technology and. Uh, especially if the, the, you've got an atypical problem and you, you, know, you pick something up from discussions with people, from talks you've been to at conferences, and you come back and you implement that and you can see that you've improved your product by um, making wise decisions and, 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 and updating the architecture at a, at a very fundamental level, and that is incredibly rewarding. That's something I definitely miss. Is is solve you know as a developer you kind of pretty much solve problems at a smaller scale you know it's all about solving problems but you you're solving units of work problems as a developer and then as CTO you're kind of solving the overall bigger picture problem which is really really rewarding for me it would definitely be something I would look to go back to but I would probably want to um, jump in it with my eyes open rather than kind of boiling a frog kind of mentality which happened with me <laughs> at the last company you know so it kind of snuck up on me and all of a sudden um, I'm, I'm the person where where the buck stops and yeah I, I, I liked it I miss it in, in a weird way I miss the, the mentoring of the developers which you could argue you know you could do as a lead anyway not a CTO but I miss that I miss uh, and I miss the bigger picture solving of problems. Technically, is something I you know very much enjoy doing. So yeah, but I, I like I like the pressure being off. Let's be blunt about it. You know that is there's something to be said for that as well. Absolutely, that's how I've been feeling. I mean, uh, real quick, like it, it's obviously worth saying that um, be, depending on the company you're working for, um, and, and more specifically the size of the company you're working for, being a CTO means something very very different. Uh, I, when I started working for Capture, the company that brought me over to America, um, originally I was meant to be CTO, and then we realized that it was basically I was the only developer they had, so calling me CTO would <laughs> like That just didn't make any sense. Uh, I, like one, of, one of the more popular tweets that I've made that like, resurfaces every now and then and like, just gets another series of retweets. <laughs> It's like, oh, you're, you're CEO or COO and CTO of a domain name you just bought. Cool story, bro. Like, there's so many of those people. And, like, if you hang out in, in Shoreditch in London or you hang out in New York, funnily enough, yeah. there are so many of those fucking morons that are like, I literally just bought this on Namecheap for $10 and I'm going to get investment next year and it's going to be amazing and, and no one gives a fuck about, like, see whatever you are. Um, but it, it is, it's massively different for, depending on the company you're with. Um, so I eventually became uh, officially CTO of, of the startup I was working for um, sometime last year before they went bankrupt. Uh, not not my fault. Good job, Phil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. You, you, you say it's not your fault. You Great say it's record. not your fault. Where's the proof? Well, if they thought of a product that wasn't fucking useless, then I could have built it better. But um... <laughs> there, there, there goes that uh, product for product mentality versus technology mentality. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Oh, you want to save the entire internet and then spam people? That sounds like a great product. Um, <laughs> I chose to. Can move you to just the... explain how you're the product guy? I'm confused. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I was originally the developer for them. As we, as the team grew, and were more people involved. Um, it then made more sense for me to take, take kind of a, a bit more of a backseat on the actual development. And then I spent most of my time kind of uh, interfacing between uh, the requirements of, of the business. A lot of times sat in meetings about like, yeah, dude, that's physically, literally, technically not possible. 
um, and, and that sort of thing. So talking from like, uh, you know, the, the requirements down to the tech level of like, nah, he can't do that. And then when they were possible, uh, kind of like uh, relaying them onto the actual team and then working out how and when it would get done. Um, the, the trouble there is if you're in a small company, um, you end up like you need to know everything, which isn't how a CTO is, is meant to work. Um, you, you're meant to know how everything works. If there's a technical problem and you can't solve it, you're not doing your job as a CTO. Whereas in a larger company, you have so many people around you that like, I've been reading this book, um, which I can't remember the name of, but I'll, I'll throw a link in the show notes. And it, it talks about how CTOs are just like open-minded people that have a pretty good understanding of how things work, but you have people around you to help you make those decisions. So you have project managers to help you come up with realistic timescales. You have um, product people to work on the actual fucking product requirements. Um, you have uh, loads of other kind of people giving you tech advice and and you're meant to like listen to them and 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 take their opinions on board obviously but when when you're the CTO of a small company like everything stops at you and you end up being a project manager and a, and a product manager and and like you have to pick we're going to use this framework and we're going to do this and it, it, there's a lot more stress on you in a in being CTO of a small company than there is in a large company, which sounds kind of crazy because a larger company might have a lot more like money going through it, a lot more problems potentially. Um, but but definitely the larger the company, I, I believe, not easier, but but the less focus there is on you knowing every answer to every fucking question. Um, have you guys come across I, any I, of those problems? Am I talking I, out my ass? No, I mean, I, I don't know if that's true because I've not been a, uh, a CTO of a company of like a couple hundred people. Um, right now I'm a CTO of a company that is, I think we're now at nine people or something like that, and we've got three engineers, not including myself, um, because uh, according to imaging, I'm not allowed to write code anymore. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, but I think you're absolutely right in the sense that like, the number one responsibility that I see for myself right now in the sense of getting the product out is to fill in where we don't have resources to execute. So that means that I've been doing design, I've been doing branding, I've been doing front-end de uh, the design, I've been applying the front-end design, I'm mocking endpoints so iOS developers can develop against the, those, the, those endpoints, as well as maintaining the, you know, the technology um, roadmap, the project roadmap, the project timeline, uh, the business requirements, the patent conversations, the new hiring conversations, the onboarding of the sales team and understanding what the product is going to be. You know, I, 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 that's my responsibility at this point is all of those things. So I think you're, you're right in that like there is much more execution responsibility on a small company CTI, CTO as opposed on a larger company CTO. But I, I would imagine that that bigger company CTO still has all that responsibility. Because, I, mean, I, would, I would say it's just a different stress. I mean, <laughs> the cat threw me off. But uh, you're probably torn in more directions in a small company. And I, I doubt the stress level is much different. Yeah, I, I can only speak for myself. I, I found it incredibly stressful. I, I found, um, yeah, I found it really frustrating, um, which is probably more to do with the company I was working with rather than the, um, you know, the, the actual position, I'm sure I could have done the same job in a different company and it would have been a lot less stressful because it would have been a lot of things, the problems I had that made me feel stressed would have been taken away. But in the environment I was in, I ended up having to leave. You know, Realistically, the frustrations and the stress basically meant that I made a decision to, to walk away. You know, that 
that was what pushed me there. I, I miss the job. It's one of the few jobs I've ever had where I miss the guys I work with. You know, I built a nice little team of developers who were fantastic guys. I really enjoyed being in the office with them. We had a good atmosphere. You know, all of that was excellent. It's just that at some point, um, you know, having the goalposts moved, which is something that happens much more often in a small company, I would imagine. You know, having that happen to you six, seven, eight times, at some point you're going to have to say, this isn't for me. So... That was, you know, the reason that, that I walked away, at least. Uh, yeah, so, I, mean, I would so, say at that level, too, you had a different reason for being stressed, probably. I've, I've been through a similar transition, so I was a director, and then I went back to being just a dev, and now I'm a CTO again. Yeah. Um, so I kind of went through that roller coaster, right? And um, the stress that caused me to quit when I was a director was the business stress of things, was, you know, business goals changing and things of that manner. Whereas the stress when you're just a developer that causes you to quit is it's a very different set of things you care about usually. Mm. I would agree usually it was less stressful, but I would imagine that would depend on the company too. You know, that place so, was pretty stressful as a dev. So, so this actually brings up a really interesting thing that I want to talk about is that I, I believe the three of you have all ended up in your CTO positions because you've been long-term developers who become lead developers who have worked your way up into a CTO position. The very fascinating thing about, I think, my background um, is that I'm in my position not because of the accomplishments, the, the accomplishes, accomplishments, sorry, hold on, let me get my talk juice. Accomplishments that I made as a developer, but because of the diversity of my background in the technology. And so I spent a number of years of actually interfacing with clients, interfacing with uh, C-level people, making hard decisions. And so moving over to the CTO position in this situation has actually been really easy and actually str less stress than I think what I've been used to. Um, and I think part of that, again, is going back to the partners that I have. These guys have been fantastic. Um, I'm going to keep saying this, and in two years from now, we're going to fail, and everybody's going to point back and be like, ah, oh, they're not that fantastic. But uh, <laughs> they've been fantastic about giving me the autonomy to do the things that I feel like need to be done. But I think the background that I have, because I've done self-employment for eight years, that I've done strategic consulting for a large number of years, um, helped me make the transition into a CTO role a lot smoother and can I actually have the experience to deal with the stress uh, I think a lot more uh, efficiently than say a developer who's moved up the ranks and who's used to I've got this logical problem I need to solve oh now I have this social problem I need to solve um, which is completely different in the stresses that come along with that so I leave that and feel free to talk yeah <laughs> I can't disagree with that it's difficult to, to comment given that um, you know I guess none, none of us have um, experience what you've experienced, Jack. So, uh, yeah, I, I, it seems reasonable what you're saying to me. I guess that's all I can say. I think uh, what I was talking about with the kind of the, the levels of stress and the different types um, is more, the, when the company gets bigger, you get a different type of stress. And Davey Shafik's making that point very well on the uh, the IRC channel there. And we're really sorry, Davey. We'll get you on a show soon. I love you, really. Um, and I hate you, Davey. That's why you're not on. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't bother, to be honest. But, if, you know, it's your <laughs> yeah. podcast. Yeah, true. But, uh, yeah. I mean, what do we fucking say about your accent? It's just everywhere. It will confuse listeners. It's a podcast, Davey. You're right. It's our podcast, me and Ben. We don't like you. That's why you're not on. We just don't like you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, um, the, the types of stress you get are very different. And, and Davey's making the point that it, it, it's more to do with like high-level business things, and, and, and they're the problems you get. But when you're kind of CTOing for a, a smaller company, even if the, the even if the label CTO is misused, it's still so prevalently misused that you're going to run into this problem, whether it's right or wrong. Um, 
And for me, as a CTO of this last company, it was very much, you have to come to these meetings to meet with the investors. You're the person on call if the site goes down. Megan's, yeah. on, Megan's on holiday, so you have to finish this feature. Like all these crazy different things. And it would literally be like, I'm sat in an investor meeting, and they're like, Phil, get off your phone. And I'm like, I've just got a pingdom alert saying the website's down. They're like, oh, yeah. then run the fuck outside to Starbucks and try and find some Wi-Fi. Like it's such a contrasting situation that if you had other people around you, then it wouldn't be a problem. There will be other can, problems. Can, we can try to do all that shit. It's so hard. yeah. Can I ask you about the founders that you were working with? Was that the first company that they tried to run, or they worked with different companies? What was their uh, business um, experience? The original president of the company had done. He'd sold out a fairly successful startup before called Quickie, I believe. Um, so he'd had plenty of experience, and his was very much all about running product and getting money in. Um, we had a CEO. Did you just say the name of his company was Quickie? Yeah. Don't ask me. What the fucking name is that? I think I spent twenty dollars with him one time. I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't ask me too much more about what it did. I, I never cared. Um, the the other guy, the CEO that ended up kind of taking the the helm afterwards, um, was uh, an ex marine or something. No, he he used to work in uh, in finance, so he had a lot of a lot of understanding of like high pressure business deals, and he was like a broker or something. Um, so they were they were pretty good at what they did. They neither of them had the Fucking foggiest. Sorry, I've been told to stop using the F word because one of our followers on Twitter is very sad. You can't say fuck. Like, I've, I've been told to say fuck. We don't know as much as I can fucking say. The problem is when we tweet out the link on Twitter and YouTube, it doesn't have the explicit tag that it does on uh, on Apple. Um, so we're really, really sorry, but uh, we're growing. So I think by the time you're like one sentence in, you should realize this is explicit. Yeah. I <laughs> so maybe we should just start saying like. Hello, welcome to episode 35 of the fucking PHP Town Hall podcast. <laughs> or maybe you should just be like, hey, this is the PHP Town Hall. If you've got sensitive viewers, get the fuck off the channel. Right. <laughs> if you're under 18, then get the fuck out. Yeah. No, um, sorry. Terribly sorry. I swore again. I will never, ever fucking do that again. Um, so <laughs> what was I talking about? Actually, to be fair, this guy's... You were point, talking about the Marine guy. The, the, the guy on Twitter did say that the swearing detracts from what we're really talking about. And because of swearing, I've just forgotten what I'm actually talking about. <laughs> So he's absolutely correct then. Yes. Son of a bitch, he's right. Um, yeah, so this this guy was really good at uh, like high-pressure business deals and pitching and all the stuff that a CEO needs to be really good at, great, great at forms. We had a, um, a head of operations who would handle all the admin stuff that you've got to do. So everyone kind of had their role. Um, we didn't have someone who was specifically on product um, because the president was kind of flaking around on various things and then was eventually booted out of the company anyway. So we, we then had nobody on product. Um, and and it was all it was all quite difficult. So we were all wearing a couple of different hats. Um, and especially as the company started to fail, the company got smaller. Um, and there's just old muggins here going, but I, you've got my visa, I have to stay. Um, and it, it became more and more difficult over time. Um, but yeah, it's it's very weird being CTO for a smaller company. What I heard again, Phil became CEO. CTO company failed. That's just. I mean, yeah. timeline. Cause and effect. Two, two disparate facts. Let's. It's just, <laughs> to, to be fair, I've been CTO of a company that's failed already. So, but uh, to be also be fair, I was also the CEO and the CEO and the C whatever. Blah, blah, cool. that one cool story, bro. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I have a I have a domain that I bought five years ago. Come on. Um, yeah, goldphp7.com. Available now for ten thousand uh, dollars. Just drop me an email. Anyway, let's focus, guys. Yeah, sorry. CTO uh, with ADD. Is probably where we're headed right now. I think, yeah, I think you have to have a bit of ADD. To be fair, I mean, I think you do have a have a bit of ADD. I think to go back to what Phil was talking about, 
I mean, to respond to fires that come up every day that you have to solve and then be able to pick back up where you were in a large, complex thought process is a very difficult thing to do. And, and you know, most people, I mean, if, if I had to do um, really complex domain architecture as well as answer all these fires, I probably would fucking suck, right? Um, and so fortunately, I have some three, have three great, amazing devs, but that was part of the... Um, when I went into the CTO, I went in and I was like, look, you guys are planning to hiring mid-level devs, and I'm going to tell you, fuck no, I'm hiring senior devs because I don't want to have to deal with this shit, and I don't want to have to wake up in the middle of the night um, because some mid-level dev has just fucked shit up, right? I, I want seniors that I can trust to get things done and get them done in the right way. Uh, so far, that's worked to my advantage. Um, I, I, I'm not having to, to make too many decisions on like what the domain model looks like and the SQL and the, and all that shit and and whatnot. So I can focus on yeah, Angular sounds like a good front end tool. We'll evaluate it based off of a, a procedure, um, and then go from there. But then work on all these fires that are going on and be okay with it because these fires don't need me to sit there for twenty hours and think about the model. I think that's kind of the judgment call based on your company and the kind of project you're working on senior versus mid-level, but I totally get your point of you kind of, you can construct the environment you want to work in if you want to be responsible for those things or if you want to have people that take over that responsibility. Yeah, so to, to, to that, to construct the environment, I think one of the great, there's two things that I feel really um, motivated and excited about at this company right now. One is the product that we're building, obviously, or I wouldn't sign on on it, right? And the second is being given the leeway to make the company the way I want it to be, um, and and there's a number of things that we're we're we've got pillars of things that we want to do around that culture and the way the company is. Um, right now, we're at uh, three days a week virtual time. Eventually, we'll get to five days a week virtual time. Have full time virtual employees. We've got a high focus on continuing education. We've got um, conference days worked in with our vacation days and all this different type of shit. Um, and being able to construct a company that has a culture that I respect and that I want to be a part of is just as, uh, as attractive as building a product that I, want to, I, I would love to say that I built to me. And it's, it's been an amazing experience to be able to do both of those. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's why people do it. It's, it's exactly what you're saying. Is when, when things are working well and when you've built something technically that's remarkable and something um, personally, you know, you've built a team of guys or girls who who are pulling together to solve these problems, then that is the payoff right there, right? That's the that's the, the great thing about that role. Yeah. I, I couldn't you know couldn't couldn't agree more with that. Yeah. Interjection here. Uh, thanks to the the guy we've been making fun of for not liking the word fuck for being a good sport and sending us ten dollars. <laughs> Class act. Wow. Great. We'll, big, we'll say fuck one last time. Yeah. <laughs> a big thanks to big thanks to Verna Six for throwing ten dollars into the town hall podcast. Uh a uh, PayPal account. If anybody else would like to send us money, then I can get off this beanbag and buy an actual microphone. So that would be... <laughs> Hold on. Is that where I said this before to buy you a microphone. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I, I, I was going to buy a microphone and then I spent most of it on cider. So I'm sorry about that. Okay. I, 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 I didn't see that coming. <laughs> I was going to ask, if I threw 20 bucks in there, would you actually go buy a drink, a decent drink? As, a, as opposed to the your uh, especial. Hey, weren't we just saying that I, I have the modelo especial, not the modelo regular, but the especial, and that means that it's pretty fancy. That's true. That's true. Not that basic modelo shit. 
Given that it's 2.36 here, I have my Chris Hatch's glass of water. <laughs> uh, so cheers, Chris. In fact, where is Chris and Ed? I thought that this is Dev Hell podcast, right? Am I am I in the right place? <laughs> You're on the wrong one. You're on the am wrong I one. in the right place? Uh, oh. We uh, we, we both work so much like Ed Finkler. Look, look, Chris will Chris will never invite me on his podcast. So oh, that's why, why is that? I, I don't know. I I just uh, I just have that feeling that Chris is like Jacques. No, no, not that dude. No, that's like the same thing with me and uh, me and Davey. He's just never coming on here. Purely because I, <laughs> I, I, I meant to do it for a while, and now it's got to that point. Like there, there used to be a restaurant over the road from me, and and I always really wanted to go to that restaurant. But after living there for a year, and I realized that I still hadn't been to that restaurant, I was like, "Fuck it, I'm never going to that restaurant. It's just not going to happen." Apparently, it's amazing. It, it, I'll just never go there. So, Davey, sorry, it's just gone past past a certain amount of time where it would have been acceptable, and now you're just banned from the show. You haven't done anything back- wrong. To bring back a reference from the last show that I was on, it jumped the shark. <laughs> yes, a little bit, a little bit. So, seeing as Gary has pointed out that in uh, in old British yeah, Chinese, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's 2.36. Seeing as it's 2.36 over there, I feel like we should uh, we should wrap this one up. And I feel like we nailed that whole CTO thing. Um, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind that, you know, if you guys are okay for 10 minutes on um, um, Code Rabbi's uh, fantastic... Uh, 2015 uh, biggest loser PHP. Um, you guys. Yes. Have, yes. You also, know. PHP Town Hall sponsored by Code Rabbi. You can send your $400 over to us via PayPal. Fantastic. We'll, we'll just take all of that b- biggest loser money that you. This is our. We'll take all of that. We failed at getting actual advertisers, so we're just going to kind of force them to pay us money. Last time I was trying to get Casper Mattresses to sponsor me. Casper Mattresses, the best thing I've ever slept on. Uh, if you want to go ahead and send me money or another Casper Mattress, that's absolutely fine. Um, so we will we will tell you, tell people how good you are. But yeah, sorry, Gary, crack on. Uh, Peach, you're the biggest loser. I mean, you definitely have, um, you've got that shitty Mexican beer product placement nail, that's for sure. Whichever, you know. <laughs> you, you, Which if one of us? Are you talking to me or Phil? If Phil doesn't get a case of that shitty Mexican beer, I might have spoiled his, his, his uh, product placement by calling it shitty Mexican beer three Medello. times now. Medello is the You should definitely get a case of that coming yeah. to you. Let me, try, let me try this one more time. Medello is special. Not the worst thing I've ever had in my mouth. <laughs> Yeah, good work. Let's move on. No, we were. Um, yeah, right. I think losing uh, weight. We started having style. a discussion about um, about uh, weight loss um, before we came on the air, and we had, like save it for the air. So it's you know, I'm personally um, really you know, it's, let's be honest. Um, I, I'm I've been toying with the idea of thinking, oh, I should get healthier. I should eat healthier. I should do more exercise, but years and years and some somebody doing something like this to, to kind of push you um, and say yeah actually if all these people do it I'm gonna do it too it's been it's been wonderful for me I have to say that um, whether I do the distance and, and, and kind of meet my targets is yet to be seen obviously but I'm just really pleased that there's you know I think there's like over a hundred people in the PHP community who've committed to losing some weight you know in first half of 2015 and for me, I'm finding it a lot easier to, to not kind of stray, given that um, we have these weigh-ins on a Monday, which will be starting next Monday, I think. And, yeah, it's a really cool thing. And, 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 and I, um, I know Jack was saying that, he, you know, you've, you started um, the back end of 2014, right? So you, you're already on the path to... Yeah, to- I, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of disappointed, because if I would have known, like, five months ago, I would have waited. 
uh, no, I I started getting trying to get healthier about five six months ago, and it, so far I've lost twenty pounds. And I don't think I've for me weight weight loss and healthiness is about um, a lifestyle. And people can go to the gym and they can work out, but that doesn't work for me. I've got two kids. I'm a CTO of a company. You know, I've got a wife. I, I've got I got shit to take care of. And so like spending an hour going to the gym and most of the time including drive time in that, it just doesn't work for me. I don't have the time of the day. Uh, so what I, what I found works for me is trying to find a lifestyle that encourages the, the healthiness. And so some of the things that I've done is uh, not, not cutting back on the drinking, um, but to uh, cut back on the eating. Um, so dinner, my dinner is half the size as it used to be. Um, I eat a pretty good size lunch. I stop snacking and I have a decent breakfast. So that mixed in with I would at my peak, I was doing about 20 miles on a bike a week, um, which is not that much. It feel can contest to. Uh, and then I've got a, a push up regimen that I do. And basically what it is, is whenever I feel like I've got two minutes, I do 30 push ups. And I do it four to five times a day. So I end up doing about 120 to 150 push-ups a day. And with that, I, I've, I've lost 20, um, potentially 20 plus pounds. Uh, I've toned up and uh, it's, it's been great. And I, it, what I was saying earlier is I kind of wish that I would have known this was going to happen. Maybe I would have waited, but no, it's, it's been good. It's been good. And I, I, I love that this is going on. Ben Ramsey was telling me about it yesterday over lunch. And I was like, well, shit, that sounds awesome. I wish I would have known about it. Yeah, I, I guess. So what I've done, I start, the, do you know, it's, it's only like the, the end of the second week in. It, I think it started a week ago, Monday. And like the first few days I was using one of those apps and scanning in everything I'm eating. And it was giving me the calories. And then I was thinking, this is just completely unrealistic to try and cap myself at X, you know, 100 calories a day. I'm setting myself up to fail. For sure, you know, I, I I have a good night out, and and I have a good night out in in British standards rather than American standards, where it's definitely a case of um, quantity of of alcohol consumed rather than quality. So yeah, <laughs> you know, we, we drink we drink pints of pistol lager, and uh, I've been to Manchester once. I I can contest to that. You, yeah. you guys drink a lot of fucking quality and quantity. And it's a case of, you know, don't set yourself up to fail, I think is something that I've just thought I'm definitely going to drink once a week without a shadow of a doubt. You know, it's crazy to try and say I'm not going to do that. But I've just started walking to the shop, which is probably, a, you know, a half an hour walk there and a half an hour walk back and chuck some earphones in, listen to the uh, premium PHP podcast, Dev Hell, on the way there and on the way back. You know, it's just um, I bought a bike off a of friend. I think you, uh, you mispronounced PHP Town Hall. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm confused. Um, no, I'm, I was lucky enough that my best friend um, bought an 800 pound mountain bike and then perforated a disc in his back. So um, I picked up a really cool mountain bike. You said you were lucky your friend perforated a disc in his back. Yeah, 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 because I picked up a really expensive mountain bike for like going for a song. You're never going to ride a bike again. So Fuck that guy. I've started. No, no, he's a great guy, to be fair. But I've just. I'm just trying to do these things once, twice a week. And again, very, very, very relaxed and very slow to start. And I'm only trying to lose a pound, pound and a half a week, um, which is a reasonable goal rather than going, I'm going to lose, you know, four stone and I'm going to lose it in four days. It's, it's, just, it, it's just, for me, it's, it's setting goals. This sounds so 
seem to you now, and that's not my intention. But it's, it's for me, is not setting yourself up to fail is what's right. important. Well, what, what you're, oh, I'm sorry to cut you off, but what you're, no, doing, no, no. what you're doing is you're you're changing your lifestyle, and that's what's important, and that's what's going to last you the rest of your life. Is if if you change your lifestyle and the habits that you build, you know. And so that's that's awesome to hear. Is when you hear, I hear about so many people who are like, "Oh, I'm on a diet, so I'm not eating anything." I was like, "Well, the moment you put something in your mouth, your body's just gonna suck it up, and you're gonna get fat again, right?" It's like that's that's not going to solve your problem. You solve you solve your problem by changing your lifestyle, and and it's finding things that work into the way you live to give you exercise. And doing that mile, I mean, 30 minutes—that's a mile, mile and a half. It takes me. My office is, I think, 1.4 miles away, and it takes me about 30 miles, uh, 30 minutes to get there. So yeah, um, yeah, it's, well, it's really easy to do. Sorry, carry on, Gary. No, no, sorry, Phil. Just one quick point is that um, the other thing that I've started doing, which I stopped doing for a long time, was like cooking real food, like using my pots and pans, and 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 so on. I'm trying to. I've got an awesome book, which you know, Phil. The, you know the the hairy bikers, the the two fat hairy yeah. uh, guys who were. Um, British um, TV chefs, I guess you call them, the cooks would probably be a more accurate phrase, but they were these two massive fat guys who were you know, popular in, uh, in British TV, and they lost a ton of weight on, on the TV, and, and so they've got a couple of cookbooks out with really low-calorie recipes, because the, 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 the curry I cooked tonight was superb, absolutely superb, and like 300, 500 calories. I'm not consciously calorie counting, but actually cooking your own food is always going to be so much better for you than just you know taking something out of the freezer and throwing it in the oven. So yeah, so I, my, I enjoy doing it. It's quite therapeutic. So yeah, my so my wife and I for the past about seven eight years have been serious avid um, cook at home people. Um, and what's really fascinating is about seven years ago, I was at the verge where the doctor was like, "If you don't change, we're going to put you on um, blood pressure medicine." And then my wife and I moved over to a natural fat diet and. Uh, my my cholesterol is down 20, 30 points. My wife's cholesterol is down so far that they're she's like they're like go eat a cheeseburger at McDonald's because <laughs> you need some fucking bad cholesterol, right? So what we <laughs> we we cook with naturally rendered lard. We cook with butter, natural butter, and and we we stop cooking with olive oil, vegetable oils, and all that bullshit because that is actually not that healthy for you. Uh, the the your body is built up to process this natural fats and the natural things. And if you're going to eat grains, make sure they're, they're um, fermented grains. Um, your body can act, can't actually um, process unfermented grains. It just kind of goes right through you. So if you're going to do um, oatmeal, soak it the night before with a little bit of apple cider vinegar. opens up the grains, and when you cook in the morning, it's 100 times um, more healthy for you, and it lasts longer energy-wise. Yeah. That's about what I'm doing as well. Um, so a lot of people find it really weird for me, but um, I lost a lot of weight when I got to America. Uh, being up in Newcastle, where I used to live right next to where I worked, and I used to drink 10 pints most nights and or whatever it was and eat chips and kebabs and all this bollocks. Like when I was in Newcastle, I got up to 200 pounds, which is the heaviest I've ever been. Um, I'm only 5'10", 5'11", so it's wow. like that's, that's a lot for my small frame. I got like there was an extra face on here. And um, as excuse me, excuse me. Five eleven to two oh five right now. Thank you, asshole. And you're looking lovely. You're so much better than you were. Uh, no, I just mean it. I didn't carry it well. Whatever was going on, it's not about the exact number. I probably shouldn't have mentioned, but for me, I didn't look right at all. It was it was a big neck. Yeah. And um, well, it's, it's because you have a child's body, right? 
that's that's it. That's it. But when I first got to America, like uh, I found there was like really good sushi, and it was a really fun place to cycle around. And I started to like a little bit more cycling, um, and and that got rid of a lot of the weight. But a lot of it was just like eating better food. And what I've started doing more recently is um, it's it's really easy to get um, uh, good natural vegetables and other stuff. So I've got this service that like it delivers kale and spinach and all these really nice vegetables to my house. Most of the dinners I make are just like a bit of pasta and a bit of or a bit of rice and just a fuckload of veg. Um, instead of throwing in like loads of meat and like, having like a big old steak or a big old chicken and a bit of potato on the side, I just have like a whole bunch of vegetables and like uh, mushrooms and, and beans to kind of give it that 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 um, thing that you miss from the meat. So I'm not going not going full blown vegetarian. I still eat chicken wings. I just had some, but I've kind of cut a lot of the meat out of my diet and I'm moving a little bit further. I've got myself uh, a bike, or um, and I've got a city bike as well. So instead of going around New York and taking a subway ten blocks. I just jump on a city bike and take that ten blocks, and loads of loads of little small changes like that, like eat a bit less meat, have a few more vegetables, maybe cycle a little bit more. You don't have to do the whole crazy hundred and twenty mile bike ride every other day bullshit that I was doing last year, um, but just like the small improvements of try and cycle twenty miles in a week. That's a really really big change from just sitting on your ass and taking a train and a car everywhere. You know, the little the little small bits. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, we're two weeks in. I'm really hoping that I'm, I'm planning to try and, like, cook a real meal twice a week. Um, I, I'm not going to pretend, you know, I mean, weekdays, I'm not going to pretend that I'm not going to be sticking stuff in the oven. It, 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 it's too time-consuming to, to, for me to do that every single day. But, yeah, it seems to be working, and, and I'm enjoying it. It's, it, it's yeah. not – for me, the bonus is I'm not doing anything that I – have to I feel like I have to push myself to do like if I think to myself on my lunch hour or oh, I'll run down the shop and get the get the ingredients for the dinner I'm going to cook tonight then that's not hard work it's you know quite pleasurable so yeah it's a bonus for me I just think that um you know what a great guy um called Rabbi is for for putting his own energies and efforts and and I can't say props to him too much to be honest I don't know if I don't know what a, what a white guy from um, from Swansea, who's, who's like near him 40, looks like when he says the word props. I've never said that before. And I have no idea where that just came from. So It, uh, it was fine until you mentioned it. Yeah, it's we, we can cut that out and edit, right? We can edit it's that. because you're sleep deprived. It's because you're sleep deprived. That's what I mean. <laughs> um, I, I don't know uh, Coda Rebbe, but when I meet him in person, because um, it will happen, I'm going to give him the biggest fucking hug ever. Say what, Code Rabbi is the only person I've ever known to be out. Uh, he, he took me and um, and uh, Jose Gonzalez, who we've had on the show before, and a few other people. Uh, Jeremy McCurdle was there, the whole New York crowd. Um, he, he took us out, and at one point I actually said, I'm really sorry, I can't have another cider. I know you're buying them for me, but I literally can't have any more. I have to go to bed. <laughs> Never in my life said that. Um, <laughs> He kept me up drinking so late that when we went to Worst Con with Chuck Mangreaves and all these other people, I'd only had half an hour's sleep, and I got into that car completely drunk and still awake. So Code Rabbi is an absolute wonderful person. <laughs> he's a he's a bad he's a bad um, bad. Uh, Apparently, he's an amazing drinker. He outdrank you. He's surprising. Yeah, I was like, I mate, I am falling over. I cannot. Have well, it. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I mean, isn't it like once a week the their thing is to binge on wine of some sort, <laughs> right? So. I got I got him on the tequila ciders that I'd uh, told him about. He was really excited to try tequila cider with me, and even then he was he was absolutely fine. And I was like, I'm gonna go on to normal cider and also go home now. I can't wait. To <laughs> I, I, I I'm running into him next week in uh, his uh, PHP Banalex next week. So I'm running into uh, 
to see it's there. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That's yeah, speaking be- of, we should sync up. Uh, what's our conference schedules this year? What are you guys doing? Sunshine and Lone Star. I'm trying to get Sunshine too. Yeah. Hell yeah, I'll be there. Everybody's Sunshine. We should do a podcast from Sunshine. Let's do that. Yeah, yeah. I'm in Sunshine. I'm in Benelux, Sunshine, PHP UK, and then Midwest. Is all Sorry, Gary. I don't want to see you again. Yeah, but yeah no, that's fine. That's fine. Fuck you I too. might look in the Midwest. I heard that was a great conference last year. Um, I went in 2013. It was really good. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do Lone Star. Um, I'm going to apply for Tech. tech uh, and if they... Except me, I'll go to that. Otherwise, okay. I'm in Nashville running a company. You should come down to Sunshine, man. All the cool guys will be there. I know. What isn't that like? That's like coming right. Oh, that's the weekend of uh, Pie Tennessee, I think. So I it's basically PHP Mecca at this point. Sun- Sunshine is the only conference I ever pay to go to. That might sound like an arsy comment, but like I, uh, it's usually you like, are an ass. it's like three hundred bucks. Like I don't, I don't go to that many to be honest. So like if they want to let me speak there, okay, I guess I'll go. But um, I, it's, I'm paying for the flights and fucking everything else just to go because it's a really fun conference to go You're to. You're actually paying for something? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't afford rent right now, but I have just bought a plane ticket to Sunshine. So <laughs> yeah, you should maybe so buy a chair before you buy tickets. This bee bag is amazing. <laughs> you can't afford rent. You can't afford a bed, only a mattress. But you can afford Sunshine and some artisanal box of vegetables to be delivered to you uh, every, every I'm not saying I make amazing... I don't make amazing financial choices. I'm just saying I do live a, a slightly healthier lifestyle and enjoy this conference. I do not question Phil's priorities at all, to be honest. <laughs> if I was single in New York City, I would have a fucking beanbag chair that I slept on, and then I would be going to conferences and eating healthy CSA food. Yeah. Hey, come over to my place. We can watch Netflix and cuddle. I up need to get to New York, man. I got friends who just had a baby. You could eat I need to get up there. I have friends who just have a baby, and I need to hang out. So I, I got to find an excuse to get up to New York. We should work this all out offline, but I don't believe we're adding value to our listeners anymore, so let's bugger off this show. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening to uh, PHP Town Hall episode 35. Um, I'm only saying this next part because I want to see how fast we can get this episode released on iTunes, but the date is currently January 15th, so you'll probably be listening to this around February 20th somewhere. Um, <laughs> oh, right after Sunshine. Before right, we go, right, right, right after to, Sunshine. Yeah. I need to make one point. You guys really got to get your Hire Rove. We have a developer available. There we go. Go. Sweet. Cool. Go work for Rove. It's not. Uh, it's not grumpy, is it? No, no, no. Don't work for us. No, no, hire us. Hire us. Oh, sorry, work sorry, Rove. Hire. I no, I understand. Kidding. I'm just saying, no one wants to work with Grumpy. No, no, it's not Chris. It's not Chris. Definitely not. It's fine. All right. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for listening, and thanks for coming on the show, guys. Pleasure. See you uh, next month.